In Canada, a person goes missing every seven minutes. Of the 71,000 people reported missing each year, about 26,000 of them are adults. The good news is that most of the adults reported missing will be found within a week. About 88% of them will return or be located within that time frame. But what about those that just aren't found? The mothers and fathers, sons and daughters who disappear without a trace. These are the cases that we really need your help to solve. I'm Ellen White, and you are listening to Whereabouts Unknown. Thank you for joining me for today's episode, The Disappearance of Trevor Hamlin. So Trevor Hamlin is a very likable, popular young man who was nicknamed Pepsi. He is living in Paradise, Newfoundland. Now, Paradise is a lovely town on the Avalon Peninsula in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. It's not far from the city of St. John's, and it has a population of about 21,000 people. Trevor has been working off and on there in the construction trade, doing some roofing, some siding, and other odd jobs to earn a living. He's renting a room from a friend, attending some social activities, and enjoying regular home-cooked dinners when he drops in at his mom's. But on June 16, 2018, Trevor Hamlin just disappears. He's thought to be at his home, but his roommate arrives there to find that he isn't. There is some thought that he may attend a local party later that day, but Trevor doesn't show. A couple of days later, Trevor's family is alerted, and Trevor Hamlin is officially declared a missing person. So I'm joined today by Trevor's mother, Michelle, and by his sister, Ashley. Michelle, please tell us about Trevor as a young boy and a young man. Trevor grew up in Grand Falls, Windsor, central Newfoundland. The population was around 14 to 15,000 people. He had a quiet personality, a ready smile, and a great sense of humor. He loved to be challenged in board games, and he loved math. When he was young, he would finish his homework and ask to have extra sheets done up. The numbers intrigued him. As a young boy, his interest was in anything that was outside. He loved fishing, small game hunting, canoeing, riding quads and skidoos. He thrived the outside. As he was growing older, he was deeply interested in the wildlife conservation, and we suspected that he would apply after high school. Before he graduated from high school, the family was hit with a major change. His dad's workplace closed and he was to be transferred to St. John's. This was a very stressful time for our family. Now, we've heard that Trevor had the nickname Pepsi. How did he get that name? Um, <laughs> so Trevor's lifestyle uh, changed a 180. Uh, when we moved to Mount Pearl, he had to adjust to a larger population, a larger school size. Uh, he had to make new friends. It took months for him to settle in. And he mostly stayed close to home and just attended school. For him to get access to the woods, uh, transportation was needed. Eventually, he did make some great friends. Um, he was well known to carry a couple cans of Pepsi to school on most days. It was his friends from school that gave him the nickname Pepsi. Oh, that is so cool. Listen, Trevor had a lot of things going on in the year leading up to his disappearance. So please tell us about the twists and turns his life had taken during that time. 
There was another major change in Trevor's life. Um, he lost his dad in January 2003, and he and his dad were really close. Um, then the following years, he had gone through a breakup with his long-term girlfriend. He had a struggling business, and he had financial worries. My goodness. So he was under a whole lot of stress. And even though from everything we've heard, he was a very positive, upbeat kind of guy, he really would have been dealing with a lot. So what are some of the ways that you think Trevor dealt with the stress? He was under a lot of stress and he he liked to gamble. Um, and he and from my understanding, he would party using recreational drugs. Now, let's talk a bit about the gambling that he was involved in. He, to my knowledge, he was playing at uh, poker tournaments in person. He was online um, playing games, sports games, poker hands. Um, he was very involved that way. Okay. Now, we know that Trevor disappeared on June 16th, 2018. Please tell us what you know about the events of that day in relation to Trevor. We do have confirmation that on June the 16th, 2018, Trevor had run errands to Sobeys and to the liquor store in Paradise. This was confirmed by the security cameras. Uh, one of his friends actually was the one that found the film for us. On his way home, he had picked up Subway and returned home to return uh, his roommate's car. And he wasn't heard from again after that day. Now, it is entirely possible that somebody listening to this podcast today or seeing our posts has heard rumors or even knows firsthand what has happened to Trevor. What would you like to say to anyone out there who has information? From the family, uh, this is a nightmare that we live daily. And if there's anyone out there, even the most smallest tip of information you think is not even uh, important, please share it. Share it to Whereabouts Unknown podcast page. Private, it's going to be privately and confidentially kept, or you can call Crime Stoppers. Please, anything that you know can help to bring him home. So 33-year-old Trevor Hamlin has a loving family, lots of friends, and it seems some complications in his life. The business that he'd hoped to build hadn't worked out, and in the year leading up to his disappearance, he'd suffered some injuries. To his back on one occasion, to his knee on another, and in the month before his disappearance, he'd suffered a serious cut to his wrist. Working regularly in the trades meant being in good physical condition, and Trevor had been laid up on more than one occasion, missing what amounted to several weeks of work. Bills started to pile up. And like many young people, Trevor, it seemed, liked to do his share of partying. We're told by sources that he used recreational drugs, and multiple sources have told us that Trevor may have owed money to a local small-time drug dealer, and the drug dealer was looking to collect. It does seem clear to many as well that Trevor liked gambling, especially poker, playing for hours online and in some local tournaments. Trevor, with his love of numbers and his strong math skills, may have seen a career for himself as a professional poker player. 
And while he was known to win some larger sums, as with most gamblers, the losses were always so much larger than the wins. Let me take you sideways for just a moment while we look at the issue of problem gambling. Problem gambling or a gambling addiction can be one of the hardest addictions to deal with. Unlike a drug or alcohol addiction, even if the individual overcomes it, they are often left with the financial devastation that it causes for a long time afterwards. And the nature of the gambling addiction causes that person to wager larger and larger sums, hoping for bigger and bigger payoffs to cover mountains of debt. But those payoffs rarely ever happen. Problem gamblers are caught in a cycle that causes them shame and embarrassment. If a person has a drug or alcohol addiction, it is often obvious, as the person will be seen in an intoxicated state. It can be very difficult to tell that someone is suffering from a gambling addiction. And because the addiction is so hidden and so private, it is often hard for the individual to ask for help. And an untreated gambling addiction can cause an ever-worsening spiral of depression. In preparing for the podcast, we had a chance to speak with a mental health professional about problem gambling, and they provided us with some research that shows that problem gamblers are six times more likely to have suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts, and they are more than 15 times more likely to take their own lives. In fact, nearly one in five gamblers surveyed had considered taking their own lives in the previous 12 months. Problem gambling is also very expensive. Money is needed to fund it, and this can sometimes lead a person to borrow from different sources. In provinces where there are licensed casinos, you can get legitimate credit. You complete an application, and a trained credit officer examines your income and assets and either approves or declines the loan. It's very much like getting a loan at a bank but there are other kinds of loans available to gamblers as well. At many casinos, you can easily find a loan shark who will provide an illegal loan to you at an incredibly high rate of interest. And if you can't make contact with a loan shark on your own, other gamblers you know may be able to put you in touch with someone. Many gamblers feel so sure that that big payoff is just around the corner that they may convince themselves to take the loan, intending to pay it back quickly but the payoff rarely comes, and the gambler is left with a debt that can double and triple in just days or weeks. So the problem gambler is left in a no-win situation. They need increasing amounts to fund their gambling habit and try for that big payoff, but they are also now in debt to people who don't always use legal methods to collect. If a person had borrowed money from illegitimate sources to fund their problem gambling, they can't just declare bankruptcy and walk away. Loans from illegal lenders are usually not forgiven and payment will be required. If Trevor had developed a problem with gambling, as so many of you have told us in your tips, it may have led him into a world that he was not familiar with or equipped to deal with. Easygoing Trevor, said to be kind, a bit naive, always looking to make new friends, may not have realized how dark that world could be. In any missing person's case, we look at the possibility of suicide. Misadventure, where a, a person gets lost in the woods or falls in the water, for example. Or foul play, where a person goes missing as a result of a crime, such as kidnapping or murder. 
We also look at voluntary disappearances, where a person for obvious reasons or reasons maybe known only to them decides to just take off and start a new life, telling no one. Here is our interview with the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. So today I'm joined by Constable Robin Knight, the lead investigator on Trevor Hamlin's case, and by Constable James Cadigan. Now they're both from the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary. Robin, this case is now about two and a half, almost three years old. And have you had a lot of tips or information come in that make you optimistic that it might one day be resolved? Yeah, so Ellen, I've been involved in this investigation since the beginning. And yes, we do continue to receive information related to this file. Um, as with any investigation, when we receive information from the public, um, we must examine the validity of the information. Um, we certainly rely on the public to assist us and to seek answers in files of this nature. Now, that being said, I do want the public to know that any and all information that they do have to offer us, even if that information may seem small or insignificant to them, it may be crucial to us and a part of our investigation. Um, it's those small pieces of information that we're able to piece together that in the end give us a bigger picture and can be vital to leading us in the right direction, um, you know, to finding Mr. Hamlin. And I'd make, I, like that being said, I would like to make another plea to people and ask anybody with information that may assist us with our efforts to locate Trevor Hamlin to contact the RNC, or you can remain anonymous in that information and provide it to Crime Stoppers. Now, now, James, I'm glad that Robin mentioned Crime Stoppers because I know we get a lot of questions, and I'm sure you do too, about how secure that program really is. Now, if a person calls Crime Stoppers anonymously to provide information, is it at all possible that their information could be tracked down and disclosed? You know, that's that's a great point to touch on. We can tell you that our officers of all divisions, you know, from our frontline patrol services to major crime, receive information from Crime Stoppers reports related to incidents throughout our community every day. And often this information has been crucial in our investigations and certainly other aspects of protecting the health and safety of our communities. With that said, it's important to outline that the police service has no means of identifying the source of any information provided anonymously to Crime Stoppers. And we certainly must not allow any avenue to go unchecked. Thank you for clarifying that for us. I know we get asked that question quite often. Now, um, in regard to Trevor's case specifically, it sounds like you're open to considering all possibilities. You really haven't ruled anything out at this point. Is that correct? Yeah, so as this investigation remains active, we need people to know that it's the information and the evidence provided by them that actually guides us. We've been able to gather some valuable information through the course of this investigation, and we remain open-minded, uh, leaving no stone unturned here. Um, we remain focused on resolving what happened to Trevor Hamlin in June of 2018. And as the lead investigator, I appreciate the opportunity to join this discussion uh, to bring to light the value of working together as a community to solve this case. And, you know, as Constable Cadigan just said, uh, with regard to reports to Crime Stoppers, we have no means to tie anyone to the information provided and every detail they provide will be investigated. Yeah, thank you for providing that, that reassurance. I know it's very important to people who want to provide tips but don't necessarily want to get involved. 
So listen, we've dealt with many families of the missing really through the decades. And we totally understand how when a loved one goes missing, it becomes the most important and tragic event in that family's history. But what's it like for a police officer working on these cases? I mean, are you able to just clock in and clock out, put it behind you? Or do these cases sometimes keep you up at night? I mean, I'd be lying if I said the investigation didn't weigh on me. I've been in contact with the Hamlin family since the beginning. And it sort of goes that um, without saying that police officers can become engulfed in uh, investigations of this nature. I can honestly say that my heart and my mind are with the Hamlin family, and I think of them often. And without a doubt, I'll always be seeking a resolution to know what happened to Trevor. Um, and I do hope to be able to locate him. Uh, I have faith in our community to provide the information we need. And that, along with you know the hard work of my colleagues, it gives me the confidence to continue pressing on in this one. Thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today. And, and your, your commitment to resolving this case for the Hamlin family is so obvious. Uh, we really appreciate the clarification about Crime Stoppers. And uh, let's keep those, you know, to all of our listeners, uh, really throughout Canada, throughout the U.S., please keep those tips coming in. Vitally important to getting a resolution in this case. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Ellen. So did Trevor Hamlin, described by many as a person who didn't like to share his feelings, decide to take his own life? Or was he the victim of foul play, as so many of your tips have alleged, perhaps at the hands of someone who felt Trevor owed them some money? Or did Trevor look at the life he had in paradise and decide he might like a new one in a different location and just choose on his own to leave? It is entirely legal for an adult to decide to go missing, and they are not required to tell their family or friends about it at any time. As close as Trevor was to his mom and as loved as he was by his circle of friends, might he just have decided to escape the mounting debt and start all over again elsewhere? Our team thinks this potential outcome to be unlikely. While anyone can decide to leave and that type of behavior is more common than you might know, we think it very unlikely that he would not have made contact with his family or friends at any point since June 16, 2018 just to let them know that he was okay. But at this point, we can't completely rule out any of the possibilities. It's early on in our research, but we have already received dozens of tips to date that we feel are bringing the Hamlin family closer and closer to finding out what happened to Trevor on June 16, 2018. But we really need your tips, your information, and your input to help solve this case. Trevor Hamlin is 5 feet 10 inches tall. At the time of his disappearance, he weighed about 225 pounds. He has brown eyes and is bald. Most importantly, Trevor is Michelle's son and Ashley and Jeff's brother. They miss him incredibly and they love him completely and they need your help to bring him home. If you know anything about Trevor Hamlin's disappearance, or just want to tell us about a theory you have, please message us privately and confidentially at Whereabouts Unknown on Facebook or call Crime Stoppers. I'm Ellen White. Thank you for listening to The Disappearance of Trevor Hamlin on Whereabouts Unknown. Thank you.